I liked dark, cramped spaces, so I buried my face deep in my hood. My eyes resented the heartless world, but yearned for love. I liked being soaked by the rain because my face looked better clouded over. I pretended to be afraid of the storm while waiting for the sky to burst. Strum through the light's distortion. I want to make the thunder roar. Drum beyond the pain. What can I do? This fierce pounding is out of control. Strum in a harmonizing quartet. I want to cause a revolution. Drum in a lamenting forte. What can I do? My savage nature is beyond wild. Howdy y'all and welcome back to the Treehouse Anime Club. My name is Dave and this is my podcast where I talk about anime production and the fine folks who make it all possible. Those were the lyrics to the opening credits theme song, Seishun Complex. To today's episode, Bochi the Rock from Fall 2022 season. This is a 12-episode girls rock band series produced by Studio Cloverworks, directed by Keiichiro Saito, and based on the popular four-panel manga by Aki Hamaji. But before I can climb out of the trash can with my guitar and sing you a lullaby, I gotta do the thing where I promote the show. So the Treehouse Anime Club is only air courtesy of Spotify for podcasters. Our main platform is indeed Spotify. You can find us on most major providers as well. Be advised, though, that Google Podcasts is indeed shutting down. I don't know exactly how YouTube music will interact with this show, so hopefully nothing will change and we just get to make the transition smoothly and nothing else will happen. A lot of this whole thing about Google Podcasts is still up in the air, so I do want to just make a quick mention of that. You can stay up to date with the show, plus some extra goodies, by following our Instagram and Threads page at the Treehouse Anime Pod. We also have a free Discord. You can follow the link in the show notes or through our Treehouse Anime Club's uh, Instagram bio page. I would also appreciate it if you left a review from whatever platform you're listening from that supports them. You can also leave comments under each Spotify episode. Again, Good Pods also has a comments feature. And really, any and all engagement really helps the show, but most importantly, I'm glad you decided to make my show about Japanese cartoons part of your day. So as I get into you know what I've been up to since our last episode, I do have a pretty big announcement regarding the content schedule moving forward for the podcast. The main thing is, is I'm just going to start moving to once a month, just to monthly episodes, monthly uploads. Twice monthly got to be, frankly, very busy for the kind of show that I'm trying to produce a lot of my free time was just going straight from work into working on this podcast. And there are a lot of more moving parts to this show versus when I started, which is just more time overall committed to this hobby. And it started to get, it's really started to pile up. And I just need to scale back in that regard for my own uh, personal health, but also the, the, the long-term health of this podcast. But it's not all doom and gloom because the, the bulk of my episodes moving forward will be featuring special guests, similar to my Chobits episode with Anime Sakai, but uh, with, a, with a twist. The episodes moving forward that feature guests will be in two parts. So the first part will, of course, be like this intro and then main topic. And then the second part will be my discussion with my guests, just kind of sitting down, chatting for the show, about the show for about an hour, hour and a half. I don't plan to drop these on the same day, but I plan to drop them like close together within at least three days of each other. Uh, so in terms of the new content drop schedule, I'm right now I'm generally looking at about the middle of every month. So like the 15th, followed by the episode with my guests, either about three days later after that or the weekend, whichever comes soon. So I believe the first time that this is going to be is like starting in March. 
That being said, real quick about February, you're still getting the co-production and music video uh, Leiji Matsumoto episode. That's still happening. And then moving and start beginning in March is going to be the new type of content for the, the, the new release schedule. And my first guest episode will be in April. Also, there's not going to be any change in content for my main episodes. You know, things are going to go basically the same as before. I just couldn't handle twice a month anymore with all of the other bonus work that I'm doing on top of some of the guest stuff that I've been doing. Those those guest discussions take a lot more editing effort and a lot more editing time than a typical episode of the Treehouse Anime Club. But that that is something that's like going monthly will be good for the podcast in the long run. I think the quality of the episodes will go up. My guests have all been amazing and I can actually focus a little bit more on said bonus content and even start trying some ideas that I've been bouncing around but haven't been able to really engage with so far just because of all the time. I've been very busy this month, especially pre-recording a lot of my guest spots to fit into their schedules What with uh, some various life events. Also, some of them have some trips planned around the time that the episode would drop. So I'm just pre-recording a lot of the discussion work, which means I'm also pre-loading a lot of my notes. I'm doing a lot of research ahead, like months and months ahead of some of these episodes. So I'm really hitting the grind as much as I can at the back half of January and then going into this month. And I'm essentially just building up a bank of what I can work with. So I don't, not every waking moment of my free time is spent on this podcast. I love doing this and I want to continue doing this. And so I really appreciate in advance your your patience and understanding. You know, it's going to be a little bit of a you know adjustment phase going forward. But again, I think this will be much better for the show uh, for myself as well in the long run. Now, in terms of anime that I've been watching, not really much of anything in terms of seasonal stuff. I mean, I'm trying to stay current with Free Ren. I'm only really current with uh, Brave with uh, Brave Arn, the Mecha Show. Everything else, I've just fallen. I'm, I'm like three, four weeks behind everything else. And so not nothing really uh, anime updates this week, but I've just been watching. Again, I've also been watching a lot of stuff for the podcast and for uh, some of my guest appearances. And speaking of guest appearances, I can announce now that I was on the Anime DGens episode uh, with my good friend Tyler and his co-hosts uh, Dan and Bass talking about the anime series Ghost Stories, specifically the, the English dubbed version. I mean, obviously. Uh, if you don't know, Ghost Stories is this anime from 2000 produced by Studio Piero, and it's set in this Japanese prefectural town undergoing uh, a lot of construction, a lot of expansion that happens to disturb uh, the resting place of a lot of ghosts and puts our preteen cast into a weekly broadcast of mortal peril in their attempts to put these spirits back to rest. Uh, it's pretty standard stuff, but then it got licensed by ADV Films and dubbed into English by a man named Stephen Foster where the end result is basically one of the most infamous dubs in anime history, uh, really, really dubbing history in general in any language. And so I was on the episode. It is dropping tomorrow. Yes, February 8th. So if you're in the Treehouse Discord, I'll also post it to the episode feed section. Of course, Anime DGens has done all their announcing work by the time this episode's gone live. So I had a ton of fun being on their show. We laughed so much. And I can't wait to listen to how that episode turns out. And I'm just, I'd like to thank Tyler and his co-host for giving me a chance and really just letting me uh, be, this really just kind of let me goof off with the boys. It was a nice uh, evening with the boys. And uh, so next up, as we go into further into the episode, next up is one of my favorite portions of each episode, because I get to take a pulse on the community and let the people talk about today's topic. 
So we're going to transition on over to the listener spotlight. So starting things off, we had three comments this week. And so starting us off is Captain Buffalo. He says, I heard somewhere on the internet that this show was pretty good. Watched it while it was still airing and pretty good is a huge understatement in my opinion. This show is hilarious and was constantly catching me off guard with the animation changes. Basically the epitome of what I look for in a slice of life. Cannot wait for a second season. Sometime soon would be nice. Well, unfortunately, Captain Buff, you're going to have to wait for a compilation film and then a later announcement for a season two. This was uh, quite the surprise hit, both in terms of the season and for Studio Cloverworks itself. But there, there is definitely going to be a season two. This show is way too popular for there not to be a season two. And there is so much more left in the manga to animate as well. They have plenty of material to work with. Our next commenter comes uh, courtesy of uh, another regular on the show, Fallen Snow Kiku who says, I went into Bochi not expecting much. I kind of figured the hype was overblown, and I was getting a little tired of seeing the oh my god, she's literally me kind of memes for months and months before finally sitting down and watching it. And boy, was I happy to eat that crow. If it was a standard show, Bochi would have probably been enjoyable, but disposable. But it had absolutely no right to go as hard as it did, from the fun music and characters, surprisingly nuanced depiction of social anxiety, and especially the absolute god-tier animation. I'd feel absolutely comfortable calling this one of the top five anime of the decade, so far at least. Kika, that is very well said. I cannot, I have no, I have nothing to add. I mean, that is just about as uh, perfect a summation of the experience of watching this show as you can get between you and Captain Buffalo. And our third commenter, uh, Tyler from the Anime Degens podcast, when Bochi was airing in late 2022, I didn't immediately start watching it. I saw the hype from social media after a couple of episodes and decided to pick it up. I'm glad that I did. It easily became a show I looked forward to weekly, and to be honest, if it wasn't in a stacked season, it would have easily been my number one anime. However, we had the first Bleach, uh, The Thousand Year Blood War, Mob Psycho Season 3, Chainsaw Man, Blue Lock, Eminence of Shadow, Spy Family, and probably a few more great shows that I'm forgetting, all of which were extremely well-received. But even so, Bochi was a top three show for me, and that is saying something. A simple slice-of-life anime about an anxious girl, her guitar skills, and her struggles with daily life, and the band was able to match up with all of these heavy hitters and stand out. That's how good Bochi is. If you haven't watched it yet, I highly recommend it. The music is great, the humor hits, and the exaggerated motions, emotions are fantastic. Well, actually, you know, emotions and emotions are very exaggerated. It's also a very relatable show to a lot of people. Again, Tyler, I have nothing else to add. That was also very well said. Yeah, Fall 2022 was just a season of, and I get into this a little bit later in the episode, like, yeah, Fall 2022 was just absolutely nuts. And Bochi the Rock was able to stand out amongst the crowd of all of this. Yeah, absolutely. This was truly a one-of-a-kind series and I really look forward to the future of this, well, really, this property. So thank you to everyone who wrote in. I These were some really very well thought out and in-depth comments. There was a lot of excitement going in the Discord moving up to the Bochi episode as well. So it's it's been a fun couple of weeks ever since this show was announced, this episode was announced. And again, this was one of the, again, I say this for every episode, but this was some of the most fun I've had researching an anime for the episode for of the of this podcast. 
And let's get into this. Like I, this is let, let's do it. Let's do it. Boat you the rock. Let's go. Boat the Rock is based off a four-panel slice-of-life seinen manga authored by the female mangaka Aki Hamaji, serialized in Manga Time Kirara Max since around December 2017, and this is her most popular work to date, up to six volumes published as of this recording. Hamaji-san debuted in Kirara Max, which is owned by the Hobuncha Publishing Company. She debuted in 2015 with the cleverly titled Kirari Books Meze Sochu. I think that I did that right. A four-panel manga about a rich girl experiencing her first part-time job working in a bookstore, only to discover it's full of anime and doujinshi merchandise, practically an otaku's dream. So Kirari Books ran until 2017 and was published into two volumes before moving on to Hamaji's next work, Bochi the Rock. And I think Kirari Books is interesting because it's an early indication of her art style and like the general vibe that you can expect from something by Hamaji. I mean, just look at the front cover of Kirari Books Volume 1 and you kind of see what I mean. She's also collaborated on a laid-back camp anthology comic. And of course, she also draws doujinshi, uh, which is independent manga, including a few works on the side that lean more into the uh, adult audience. And like I just said earlier, Kirara Max is owned by the Hoboncha Publishing Company, and it's actually part of a series of magazines all with like Kirara in the title. So there's uh, three to five of these, I believe. Uh, Kirara Max specifically hosts series like Is This Order a Rabbit, Comet Girls, and Magic of Stella. Other titles under the larger company umbrella, so like in some of the other magazines, you might recognize some of these titles. Uh, Hidamari Sketch, Three Leaves, Three Colors, and Kaon. This is also the original home for Eurocamp, which is a laid-back camp until that manga moved online to the Hobuncha's uh, Comic Fuzz app. As again, you may recognize some of these titles as they have anime adaptations. So this whole Kirara series is, even though it's a seinen manga anthology series for the most part, it's known for featuring girls, usually a friend's group of four or so, doing various group activities and hanging out, air quotes, cute girls doing cute things. Uh, Bochi the Rock, the manga, is hailed as a revolutionary leap forward in the four-panel format as praised by the editor-in-chief of Manga Time, Kirara, so naturally he has uh, some skin in the game saying that. But from what I skimmed through a little bit of the Bochi the Rock manga, this manga is indeed very expressive and has some really experimental panel work and visuals. And you yourself can experience those visuals courtesy of Yen Press Publishing. And surprisingly, when I see the Bochi the Rock manga in the wild, these are like really narrow books. So there's a lot packed into those little books as well. So let's get into the story. Bochi the Rock follows Hitori Goto, an anxious and very socially awkward middle school girl with big dreams of becoming a rock musician. Taking inspiration from her father, Hitori learns how to play his guitar by practicing alone in her room with the goal of using her guitar skills of to make friends. 
And of course, everyone knows how cool and interesting people are who play guitar and want to be in a band. So all of this is she wants to learn guitar to really get over her social anxiety. And so Hitori becomes incredibly skilled and even builds up a decent fan base online through her guitar covers on YouTube under the alias of Guitar Hero. Yet Hitori cannot get over her anxiety and enters high school without making a single friend. But fate intervenes the day she meets Nijika, an extremely energetic and social girl who plays drums and is, happens to be looking for a new guitarist for her band. In this whirlwind of events, Hitori becomes the lead guitarist of the Kesoku Band, which uh, the name Kesoku Band literally translates to zip tie, which is exactly the kind of wordplay you'd expect from a bunch of goofy high schoolers, you know, making their first band. It's a ter- such a terrible pun, and they know it but the name just sticks, and I love that it sticks. Uh, Hitori's bandmates are the aloof yet mischievous and also terminally broke bassist Ryo Yamada, and rounding out the cast, we have the cheerful and outgoing Kita Ikuyo on vocals and rhythm guitar. Sabochi the Rock can be seen as like a journey in two parts, like two parallel paths. We, of course, have the personal growth of Bochi as a character and as she deals with her social anxiety and her various obstacles and her triggers, it is really satisfying to watch her go from just terminally shy, can't make a single eye contact with anyone, to the end of the series where we really see how far she's come in her confidence. And subsequently, we get to experience the growth of Kesoko Band as a musical unit. Also, this series is one hell of a comedy. So before we get too deep into the episode, I want to lay some uh, groundwork for this episode with the studio rundown for Cloverworks. And this studio is actually a subsidiary of Sony Music Entertainment uh, Japan's anime production firm, Aniplex. And so Aniplex also works on a lot of anime music production, including this series. Aniplex also has its own uh, distribution label, but that's also kind of a separate company. Uh, Corporations are complicated. But Cloverworks itself is a name rebranded from A1 Pictures Koenji Studio, which worked on Darling in the Franks alongside Studio Trigger in 2018, which this uh, naming rebrand actually happened in the middle of production on Darling in the Franks, so around April 2018. Other works that same year, we have Ace Attorney Season 2, Fairy Tale 2018, and Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai, and Persona 5 The Animation. So overall, a pretty good year, despite some heavy bumps with uh, Persona 5 in particular, and I try not to hold that against them. Uh, Ace Attorney as well was kind of rough, but not nowhere near as bad as uh, Persona 5. Uh, 2019, we had the excellent Promised Neverland. They also worked on at least season one. They also worked on several entries across the years on the Fate franchise, so like Fate Grand Order, including spinoffs like Lord L. Mello's Case Files. And also, speaking of 2021, was another standout year for the studio. We had uh, Horimiya in the spring, which is one of the most popular slice-of-life dramas that year. But also, this was the year of one of the biggest flops in recent memory with The Promised Neverland Season 2. 2022 was also a banner year for the studio. We started off with uh, Akebi's Sailor Uniform and My Dress Up Darling in the winter season. And Spring was also strong with the premiere of Spy Family, which was co-produced with Wit Studio. And then we, of course, returned in the fall with uh, Spy Family, and it was opposite of Bochi the Rock going into that season. And so Cloverworks, by comparison, it is it has been around for a couple of years, but even the former name studio only has works back to like 2016. So Cloverworks, to me, in my mind, is a very recent studio, but their output has been such that you go through their list of works it's like okay these guys work on a ton of anime 
And when I think of Cloverworks, I do tend to think of the slice of life genre first, like with my dress up darling and then Bochi the Rock and Akebi Sailor Uniform, those things that I mentioned earlier. But I also think of some incredibly ambitious animation endeavors. Also, my dress up darling and Bochi the Rock. Uh, basically, in its short time as Cloverworks, this studio has produced some truly stellar animation. However, they've also been plagued by production issues in the past on some anime series that even started strong and had every indication of being some of the best of the season, only to, you know, go down in flames in some cases, like Darling and the Franks, Promised Neverland Season 2, uh, but them bungling the adaptation for Persona 5, and uh, another series that will be a kind of a big talking point going into the story of Bochi the Rock, we also have the legendary flop that was Wonder Egg Priority. That anime started off so incredibly well, only just to bomb halfway through production. It was just a, known as this legendary production nightmare. All that being said, when Cloverworks manages to finish a project and cross the finish line, it's usually some of the best looking anime of any season it's part of. I mean, Spy Family is incredible. Bochi the Rock looks amazing. All of their fate work looks good. And again, The Promised Neverland Season 1, extremely compelling. When they hit, they hit. So I am going to go a little bit out of sequence than usual from past episodes because our story actually begins somewhere around the proposal phase for Bochi the Rock. And it really begins in a way with the character designer and the chief animation director on Bochi the Rock, Kero Rira, which is uh, an alias of Kiyoki Rikuta, but all their credits and interviews refer to the alias. So Kero Rira for all intents and purposes, this is the person. And they are a big fan of the Bochi manga since the very first volume, practically the first chapter. The characters and their dynamic on top of the cute art style and its comedic yet welcoming atmosphere is just something he really expresses a lot of uh, appreciation for. So he reached out to Cloverworks animation producer Shota Umahara about a potential anime project. So Kara Riva actually reached out asking, hey, could we possibly do something with Bokji? And as it so happened, when Umahara made an inquiry with his boss, he learned that Aniplex had already submitted a proposal to Cloverworks about making a Bokji anime. So of course, Kara Riva begs to be on the project, like literally runs to his desk, draws up the characters for how he would put them into animation, and he got the job. And to talk a little bit about the animation producer, Shota Umahara, who was kind of the, the big leader on putting this staff together, I do want to give a brief shout out to him because I don't usually talk about the producers on the show because yes, they are creatively involved with the projects, but these are folks who mostly deal with logistics and the people with the money rather than direct creative input unless it's passing on mandates from like some of the stakeholders. This is a very top level generic explanation for an exceedingly complex task. But basically as an animation producer, Umahara's job is to quote, assemble the Avengers, so to speak, as well as being on the team to kind of help gather the budget and then assign salaries for the people who are going to work on the project. So one detail to remember, just like any entertainment industry, when you're in the producer's role, it's who you know that makes a lot of difference when it comes to finding work. And so to talk briefly about uh, Umahara's career, he began as an assistant production manager in 2010, and it allowed him to work on a wide variety of shows on individual episodes and experience a, the full scope of the animation process as an assistant. Now, his first full outing as an animation producer wasn't until an anime adaptation of Three Leaves, Three Colors. That was with Studio Doga Cabo in 2016. And his next shot at producing came with 2021's Wonder Egg Priority, which, again, it was a very ambitious title from 2021 winter season. It was produced by Cloverworks. And again, it's just 
known nowadays for how that production went down in flames due to the overly ambitious animation causing production issues down the line. Just the workload got so much. In the end, it just prompted a ton of shortcuts and in particular, a lot of overseas hiring, which then also produced a lot of criticism. And in his words, a lot of the staff on Bochy the Rock were rescued following this just production hellscape of Wonder Egg. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind going forward. So he was the animation producer on Wonder Egg Priority, but there is something about the team that he assembled on that anime project, despite everything that they went through. He says, I want to give these guys another shot for this anime. And he, of course, he was on Wonder Egg Priority, but he was also the animation producer on my Dress Up Darling. So again, it's not everyone, no one's perfect, but you know, with My Dress Up Darling, you can clearly see like this man knows what he wants to do. Now, the director on Bochi the Rock is a man named Keichiro Saito, who's a relatively new director. He was brought onto the project by direct request of Kerorira to the producer Shota Omohara. I mean, this guy is very new. He, he started his career in key animation on episode 8 of Absolute Duo, Duo, which was a battle harem series in 2015. Then he did episode 8 of Flip Flappers, which is an action comedy with magical girls and also mechs in 2016. Very interesting concept. He also did animation work on the first openings for Ascendance of a Bookworm, so the 2019 and 2020 seasons. His directorial debut came in 2020 on the film uh, Aka, which is 13 Territories Inspection Department, which is a follow-up sequel film to the 2017 original series, which he directed this film alongside the TV series director Shingo Natsume. So in terms of his full series debut, just solo debut, Bochi the Rock is Saito's full series television debut. But he also had an assistant director, Yusuke Yamamoto. He started his career on episode 6 of Nisa Monogatari in 2012. That same episode he also worked on with Umahara, who then brought in Yamamoto for animation work in episode direction on Wonder Egg Priority. Again, it's who you know. Yusuke Yamamoto also did animation work on Oshinoko. He key animated the music video uh, ahead of the anime version for Idol. So when uh, Oshinoko was announced, there was a brief music video with anime set to it. So he key animated that. And then he turned around and directed and storyboarded Oshinoko anime's opening credits on top of key animation. So he had a lot of involvement for setting that tone. He also has character design credits on My Dress Up Darling, but this is not the main characters. This is for an in-universe uh, magical girl series, a flower princess blaze, which is cosplayed by one of the characters in My Dress Up Darling. So it's this little in-universe side anime within an anime is what he designed for. So jumping into the character designer and chief animation director for Bochi the Rock, of course, we have Carol Rira, which uh, here's their actual like career rundown. So they entered the industry in 2018, but they were very prolific as an animator, starting with episode 22 of Darling in the Franks, opening sequence for Mob Psycho 100 season two, one of my favorite openings in uh, recent memory. Also episodes uh, 10 and 12 on season two. And he worked on the Konosuba film Legend of Crimson. And he did a ton of animation work on Wonder Egg Priority, including their first outing as, uh, this is his first outing as an episode animation director. His next outing as an animation director would be on episode 11 of Dress Up Darling, while also providing key animation work for the opening credits and two more episodes. Now on Bochi the Rock, again, this man was extremely passionate about the manga and wanting to be put on the series. Kara Riva put everything on the table, under the table, and around the table, 
I mean, this guy did key animation on the opening credit sequence, as well as key animation on every single episode, plus direct an- episode animation direction on episodes 1, 4, 6, 7, 8, 10, and 12, which have some pretty key visual moments like uh, concerts. Also, assistant animation direction on episodes 9 and 11. This man was an episode animation director on all but two episodes of Bochi the Rock, on top of being the character designer, on top of key animating every episode. Just, I, I rarely see this. Like, passionate doesn't even begin to describe this man's efforts. He put in a monster load of key animation work. There are some more further credits uh, going into the upcoming uh, Bochi the Rock compilation film releasing later this year. With that being said, like not much time has passed since Bochi concluded, but he's kept busy. He did key animation work on uh, Oshinoko's opening credit sequence as well. He also worked on Makoto Shinkai's latest film, Suzume. And you can see his work on the first opening credit sequence to Freerun Beyond Journey's End, as well as episodes 1 and 10 at the time of this recording. Jumping into the writing staff, we have series composition by Erika Yoshida. And she's got a very interesting career. She started with episode screenplays of Tiger and Bunny in 2011. But then there's this gap until 2015, where she actually moved to scripting live action adaptations for manga. So Yoshida-san worked on the TV special in 2013, uh, Eve in Love, and then she adapted two more films based on the manga in 2015. You're going to love this title, (laughs) Brain Fluid Explosion Girl. (laughs) It's an action comedy survival game with uh, cell phones. Uh, The next one was Heroin Disqualified. She returned to anime screenplay in 2015 with Lupin the Third Part 4. Uh, she also went back to the world of Tiger and Bunny with the spin-off series uh, Double Decker, then more directly with Tiger and Bunny 2. She moved up to series composition with Fall 2016's uh, Trickster. She also wrote uh, 2020's Tower of God, which is uh, one of the show's part of Crunchyroll's Originals lineup and is actually getting a season 2 very soon. And so mix these and more anime script work with more live action a- uh, manga adaptations until her work on uh, Bochi. And of course, she is also attached to the compilation film. But as I described in the synopsis, uh, Bochi the Rock is basically about our protagonist, Hitori Goto, who has struggled with uh, her social anxiety for years. And she does want to desperately change and be self-confident, but she always finds herself backing out uh, every social interaction until she gets that group of friends who welcome her in and work with her to you know, slowly overcome her anxieties. But then there's this mix of comedy of like Bochi's overactive imagination just punctuating all of these moments of personal growth with like just doses of the surreal. A lot of jokes and a lot of Bochi's story structure is framing Bochi's freaking out about doing something. And it's nowhere, at no point is this mean-spirited or like, oh, ha, this girl can't do anything. No, Bochi's perfectly capable of doing things on her own. She's just incredibly shy and, you know, frankly, scared of anything socially. And so I did skim through the manga and quickly realized that even though the original manga is a four-panel series, you know, the anime really doesn't cover that many chapters relative to what I expected. Like, for example, I recently watched an anime uh, last year called Tomo-chan is a Girl, which is all about our heroine uh, Tomo-chan, who she's grown up with this best friend, and they are just best buds. You know, he's always hung out with her as, like, one of the guys, 
and she's so tomboyish and her upraising has been like so masculine and it's kind of like the awkwardness of her trying to be girly and tell her you know her guy friend that she now has a crush on like hey I like you but not being able to do it very much of that freak out humor of her just going like I can't I can't tell him how I feel I can't tell him how I feel what if he says no and all of her other friends are going like just say something to the guy so I do recommend to check it out but that was like 90 chapters and it's all four panel series and so I mean the manga ran through 90 chapters of material because like chapters are very very short in that kind of format Bochi the Rock nowhere near that far it's surprising because really what from what I read Bochi the Rock the manga goes by pretty quick I mean it's just peppered with a ton of these one panel gags and Aki Himaja the author she's not afraid to go full like far side Gary Larson in some cases but from what I skimmed through on the manga, and then especially now in my most recent rewatch of the anime, it is very clear that the writing staff and the animation crew meticulously examined every single joke in that manga and thought, how can we expand on this or how can we enhance this with animation? And their solution was, frankly, just go nuts. You know, if Aki Himaji was unafraid to be creative with her panel work and just outright break through her panel work, then we shouldn't be afraid to do things outside the box either. And so just a few early examples of what I'm talking about. Like Bochi the Rock is strewn, like just littered with animation gags. We have paper cutouts against an animated background, outright claymation. You even have a moment of where Bochi gets turned into a low poly 3D model and smashes into a bunch of bricks. Uh, multiple instances of live action, like someone doing shaky cam work and then there's a puppet outside even a moment where Bochi's emotions are akin to like popping a balloon with a pin and it makes this cute boop sound again there's a straight up footage of actual dams with location cards set to pleasant violin music uh, there's so many animation and anime references as well to previous works and so I'm saving a couple of my favorites for the review roundups and there's also a couple of illustrations by the manga artist Haki Hamaji I think I even saw actual manga panels creep up in this show at times. Like, really, anything goes. And there's just a real freedom to the movement of animation. Now, the, the Bochi's bandmates are mostly on model, but, like, so there's some episodes where Bochi is just, frankly, just her, her character model is can only be described as abstract art for most of the episode, or, like, half or more of the episode. It can get pretty wild. And couple that with uh, the voice actresses and their performances to really sell the comedy that I'll get to in a minute. Like it is, this show is not afraid to just do something crazy. And that's part of the appeal of this series. So getting a little bit deeper uh, with all of this crazy art direction, well, we have the art director, Yasunao Moriyasu. So like many art directors we've covered, uh, Moriyasu-san also started as a background artist uh, particularly, they started on an etchy series, uh, Handmade May in 2000, which actually recently got announced for home video release by the Discotech company. Check it out on, uh, you can pre-order it on Crunchyroll. Also, they did extensive background work for Sergeant Frog starting in 2004, the TV series, and then all the movies up through about 2010 to 2011. They were also the art director on Pokemon The Origin, which was a really neat four-episode uh, TV special following the storyline of the Pokemon Red-Blue video games, or I should say more accurately, Red and Green video games. Uh, also, art direction on one of my favorite anime from spring 2021, my aforementioned uh, high school slice-of-life drama, Horemiya. They also followed up with uh, a Kebi Sailor uniform in winter of 2022, 
And that directly precedes work on Bochi the Rock. We also have uh, the color design, the color work by Asuka Yokata. Also the color designer from Akebi Sailor Uniform as well as Horimiyo. So again, just a lot of folks who work on the same things. And earlier than those is her work on the fall 2018 Rascal Does Not Dream of Bunny Girl Senpai. So yeah, it's a weird title, but it also makes perfect sense once you uh, watch the show. It's a heart, it's really a heartfelt high school drama series. Great cast, amazing art direction. I love her color work and environmental work in that show. And it, her work on Bunny Girl translates perfectly into her uh, bright color palette for the world that is Bochi the Rock. And so the first direct comparison I could see is undoubtedly the popular girl series Kayon, which was done by, I believe, Kyoto Animation. But Kayon, remember, is also published under the Hoobonsha umbrella in the Kirava magazines. And it's also an extremely popular, uh, not just a moe property of cute girls doing cute things. It's a very popular musical series as well of a bunch of high schoolers making a band. So when Aki Himaji was conceptualizing Bochi the Rock, she, of course, also loves listening to bands and really wanted to make her next manga after Kirari Books. Uh, she really wanted to make a manga about bands and about girls forming a band. But of course, now she has to deal with the comparison problem with Kaon. So one of the first decisions that she made was to set Bochi the Rock outside of high school and in a live house. Not only that, the environment of Bochi the Rock is based on the real world town of Shimokitazawa. And I mean, not just casually, there are locations drawn almost one to one with the real world counterparts. The anime's depiction is so specific. At the time the Bochi Rock was coming out, there was actually a set of the town that was under construction, like a part of the boulevards was under construction. So in the anime, there is that construction fencing from an ongoing sit from that ongoing city project. And later on I'll talk about fan pilgrimage through the city streets. And you can just go to YouTube and just type in Bochi the Rock Tour. YouTube is stuffed with walking videos set to anime comparisons. I mean, it's literally like a one-to-one. It is very interesting. And also, when I'm talking about some of the concert sets kind of coming up, we have to talk about a credit that doesn't come up very often, but I wanted to mention the motion capture director, Yuta Ninomi. She works for a computer graphics studio, Exka, which was also involved in producing Weathering With You, as well as assistance on the CG anime series from last year, Kamirabi. Uh, that was God App, which famously had Yokotaro of uh, Nier and Nier Automata uh, attached to that as one of the concept planners. Studio Exka also processed uh, the motion capture footage for Bochi the Rock into computer graphics for the series under the motion capture producer Sumie Sato. But basically, putting this with art direction, when it comes to not just the animation flourishes, we also have to talk about the musical numbers being the concerts, which are like the big highlight pieces of Bochi the Rock. There's a lot of complex, uh, well, for lack of a better term, a lot of complex camera work. You have characters animating as well to the actual music being played. So I mean like the actual strums of the guitar and where the person's hand would go to produce the notes. like they, And even on the drum set with Nijika, they animated all of that. And so what they did is, for the big concert performances, it's a lot of animation work with a ton of detail, and so the mo- motion capture is used as the basis, first off, for the animation references. Also, there are some shots where the girls are entirely CG, though at the time, unless you're really looking for it, and probably just unless someone tells you, these are extremely well blended be- between this and the 2D animation. They do, it's a very clever blending and tricking of the eyes. 
And the only time you might really notice the CG is when you get the wider shots of all the band members on stage performing at once. That is extremely complex animation. So yeah, that is done in CG. And they basically had performers on a stage motion capturing for all of the music. So it is when you do have the rare concert in Bochy the Rock, it is really incredible to see. And on top of this, we have uh, a very unique credit, which is the animation training supervisor being the role of Yuichi Oka. And he's trained new animation uh, animators at Cloverworks beginning in 2022. But he's also been around since 2003 with animation work on the some Echi and Hiram series. So we have Dean Angel, uh, Shuffle, Lagrange. But he's also best known as the character designer and chief animation director on the popular Hiram comedy series To Love Ru, as well as Eromanga Sensei. Uh, design work and experience that smoothly transitions into bringing the characters and training the animators to bring Bochi the Rock to life on screen. And so he actually started this supervision role in 2022 with Akebi's sailor uniform, and then he moved on to Bochi. Uh, other shows credited to him as a training supervisor are also Spy Family. So again, that was Cloverworks and Studio Wit co-producing, as well as uh, the Fate Grand Order Memorial movie. And on top of being a very experimental show, Bochi the Rock was one of those series that was really supposed to be like this big training platform for a lot of new talent at Cloverworks. So yes, while Bochi the Rock certainly has a lot of really experimental and frankly fun and funny animation flourishes, a lot of the show is also a very hangout heavy show, talking heavy show. There is a very big difference between like one episode being entirely focused on jokes, another one being focused on all on hanging out, and then you have the more like big isolated moments of the concerts and the musicals. Going into the music, we have Tomoki Kikuya. So starting in 2007, we have compositions for Hitamari Sketch and uh, return for all of those uh, myriad sequels through the years. And looking through the credits, it's also composed for a lot of shows revolving around like harem comedies or like girls hanging out. So you have everything from more like the romance series like Princess Lover and Cat Planet Cuties to the more uh, girls hanging out, the Wasteful Days of High School Girls and Girlish Number. And so we have these big concert moments in Bochi the Rock, but most of the anime itself, like again, during the hangout moments, the more like slice of life portions, it's really more instrumental and like light instruments and light acoustic guitar. It's very laid back to kind of match the hangout vibes of the show. But it also, again, some of the weirder and experimental moments of the animation, he does get to play a little bit with the music as well. I mean, you have some, you have everything in this show from 16-bit, tracks that sound like they came out of the SNES era to like full-on tribal percussion and chanting. Like that's the gambit that we're running here uh, when he decides that, okay, now it's time to get weird. It's it's a lovable mix of everything. Before our other musical tracks in the show, I'm talking our theme songs, the insert music, and all the concert tracks, including all the opening and ending credits. We have an interesting credit here with all the vocals being attributed to Kesselko Band. Well, isn't that supposed to be the name of the in-universe band for Bochi the Rock? Well, it's also the name given to the collaboration of sorts of the four voice actresses who voice our characters. So it is unique and it's not done terribly often, but it's not quite as rare as it might seem because a fair number of voice actresses are, you know, more multi-talented with also singing and acting experiences in their relative companies. The voice actors typically take on singing roles 
in anime focused on music, especially if their characters are singers in the show, with a couple of exceptions. This is not the rule, but if you have a voice actress who can do their voice and also sing as that character, it's a win-win. Another fun detail for the musically inclined, the Kesuka band's uh, instrumentality actually feels accurate to the band's skill level within the show. It's something that is kind of hard to tell because in some of the earlier performances, it's usually Bochi or someone else running an inner monologue over the music, so it makes it kind of hard to tell. And also, these tracks are, of course, cleaned up in, in their full professional versions for the official soundtrack. But it, you can, there's something about it that when the girls aren't confident in their playing, like during their first concert especially, we can definitely feel it, or I, at least I can feel it. And it's not just from the girl's expression, and again, that inner monologue. There's something off about the music, and you can feel the mistakes being made. I really appreciate that kind of attention to detail. And another attention to detail that I also appreciate, and this kind of goes into the more art direction side, but I did want to talk about, since I'm already talking about bands, I wanted to make mention that the manga for Bochi the Rock features, every, every chapter opening features homages to popular band album covers. The author, Akihamaji, draws a reference to a popular band album with Bochi the Rock characters, and it's always very cute. And so the anime leans into these homages as well. Walls in this world are just practically plastered with posters of band album jokes and like some kind of rock. Of course, it is Japanese band specific. So a lot of the references for me just go straight over my head in terms of album covers. But for the Japanese audiences, it's kind of a, oh, I know that one. Uh, You also have other jokes peppered in, such as the, you know, the Beatles bob cut to poke fun at trends of popular musicians, because it's also a kind of a, the short cropped hairstyle is also a very popular haircut for various artists. So it's kind of poking fun at design and fashion trends. You also have jokes of like, well, how do we make a cool, like, what's a, what's a picture that really screams band like? Well, what if we stand in an alleyway with our instruments and scowl? And then Nijik has gone like, well, what about me? I'm the drummer. So what, you want me to scowl and hold my drumsticks? Like, I'll, I'll look stupid. So it's uh, all of this and just so many other jokes that are peppered in with the show. It's a crucial piece to the identity of Bochi the Rock. Also, the episode titles are in references to a one particular band that I'll get into, a, get into in a minute, Asian Kung Fu Generation. Getting a little bit deeper, we have the opening credits, uh, Seishun Complex, the one that I played at the, at the beginning of this episode, if you'll recall. Then we have four ending credit sequences. Now, the first three songs cover about three to four episodes each. And from what I can hear, I believe each song features a different voice actress singing. The credits for each song just say Kesuku Band on vocals. Because in universe, we only have really two vocalists or really one vocalist for the band. But I think the ending credits themes are for the other actresses who don't typically have singing roles in the show. As well as the fourth and final ending credits theme is specifically episode 12. And it's a cover of Rock and Roll, Morning Light Falls on You, from the band Asian Kung Fu Generation. And so the manga author, uh, Akihamaji, this is her favorite band. And this is far from the only uh, reference to Asian Kung Fu Generation. And I'll get into that in a few more minutes, because I want to, because it, it will directly tie in to all about the actors. And a quick note, as of this recording, and subsequent Blu-ray release of Bochi the Rock. Uh, There has not been an English dub, and there's also quite a number of, quote, rookie actresses. So first off, we have Hitori Goto, or nicknamed Bochi. She is the lead guitarist. 
And Bochi's nickname actually happens pretty early in the show, like after their first performance with Ryo and Nijika, and they're kind of talking about how it went. And the two girls realize, like, since Hitori is a loner, Nijika blurts out, Hitori Bochi, which translates to all alone. Which she's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I didn't mean it that way. She quickly pivots to Bochi. So it could sound like a very mean thing to say, quite honestly. And Nijika is horrified that she said it. But Hitori is also just so happy to have a nickname that Bochi just sticks. And everyone around her runs with it as well. And later we get, of course, the the show's title drop when Nijika calls her Bochi the Rock, as in the rock-solid foundation of the band. So Bochi is voiced by Yoshino Aoyama. So she started voice acting in 2014 as Yoshino Nanase from Wake Up Girls, which is also the name of the band in that show. So it's another series featuring a group of girls singing and performing. This one's more of the idol scene. So again, the Wake Up Girls is the name of that group's in-universe uh, idol singing core. Uh, the show has had multiple seasons. So I mean, right out of the gate, Aoyama-san landed a role where she also sings the music as her character as part of the musical group, the Wake Up Girls. Uh, a couple of other ones. She is Guri, an angelic character from the harem comedy series Love Tyrant in 2017. She also voices, just over her career, she tends to voice a lot of cutesy character. And she is currently voicing a character named Ururu in an isekai series, The Wrong Way to Use Healing Magic. And again, just so I can kind of stay on track with all the actors, I have a lot a lot to say about Yoshino Aoyama's performance in this show, but I again, I have to move it to, to the review roundup. So uh, the short version is Bochi has a wide range of just her regular speaking voice to just absolute just craziness. Like this woman, I think, literally put her voice on the line for her performance as Bochi. This woman is a legend. But moving on to our next character, we have Nijika Ijichi. Uh, she is the drummer, and she is voiced by Sayumi Suzushiro. So she started voice acting in 2017. One of her first main character roles was in 2018 with High School Girl as Akira Ona. But here's the deal about Akira Ona. Uh, the girl doesn't exactly talk. So here's an actual speaking role. She was uh, Uruka from the 2019 Harem comedy series, We Never Learn. And it was another show where the voice actresses sang the theme song for the show as their characters. But in 2021, we also have her role as Karena from the popular mecha series 86. And currently she is the voice of Lavigne, the mage in the blue dress, starting from episode 18 of Free Ren Beyond Journey's End. And she's not the only one who's made a recent debut in Free Ren. Our next character is Ikuyo Kita, the lead vocals and backup guitar. So another bit of wordplay here, because Ikuyo Kita, actually, a fun fact about her, she hates her name because it can be read as a pun that basically says, like, I'm here, let's go, which is also hilarious because that is basically her personality at face value. Kita is an extrovert to the extreme. She is so incredibly social often described as having an overwhelming positive aura that other characters refer to as her Kita aura. And her Kita aura is so bright and overpowering that basically when she gets an idea in her head, she's like, oh, can we, can we, can we do this, please? Like, no one can say no to this girl. And to Bochi in particular, Kita is like literally like bright as the sun. Bochi cannot make eye contact or anywhere around. Like, it's literally blinding. Ikuyo is voiced by Ikumi Hasegawa. She started her career in 2016 and has worked on a lot of side and background characters, but some of her really big major roles that I really want to highlight 
is the main heroine from the Mecha series 86, uh, Vladilana uh, Meliz. So that was a really breakout, big breakout role for her. Uh, we also have Decimi, or the Reaper Princess, from 2022's Love After World Domination. Uh, basically think of that one as a Power Rangers parody, but the Red Ranger and uh, one of the villainesses are secretly dating, and so they have to keep it on the download from both of their co-workers. So I, I think it was a cute show. And uh, getting back to Free Ren, Hasegawa is voicing a character named Ubel, who's the black-haired uh, sinister mage, again, from that exam arc starting around episode 18. And on top of her role in uh, Free Ren, Hasegawa is also currently voicing the main character, uh, Rishi Weitzner, of a seventh time loop villainess. That's one of those latest uh, several trapped in a dating game isekai that we find the shoujo genre languishing in. But from what I can tell, she's doing a pretty good job, or the, the, the show's pretty good. She's doing a good job regardless, but I think I'm getting, I'm hearing good things about this show. For what it's worth, I do want to end on a good note with Hasegawa's excellent performance as Kita. She perfectly sells this character's overly positive and outgoing nature, but it's also, there's a lot of bit of nuance to this character as Kita begins to quickly recognize that she needs to tone it down a bit over the course of the show. And of the four girls, Kita is the one of the most uh, in danger of becoming typecast into just being the cheerful Genki girl. And so I really do have to hand it to the writers and Hasekawa's enthusiastic, but also measured performance to give the depth that is needed to this kind of character. And then we have Ryo Yamada on bass guitar and backup vocals. She is voiced by Saku Mizuno, and she's the newest actress of the crew. And this girl is one interesting fish, as in she loves to fish. Like her YouTube, she has a YouTube channel. Her YouTube avatar is her eating a fish. Uh, multiple sources have her entertainment debut, air quotes, in 2018 when she started said YouTube channel to post videos of her singing. She's also quite a gamer. She's even a member of the Voice Actors Esports Club. I did not know this was a thing, but yes, it is a thing. And so, yeah, I did check out her YouTube channel, and while she isn't terribly active, like no daily or weekly uploads or anything like that, she mostly streams video games, and then you can still find her voice covers from like five years ago on there. So her actual voice acting debut came in 2021 as Rena Hananoi from uh, the musical series Selection Project, which is all about a bunch of girls trying out to be a uh, next idol group. And so the, again, the voice cast sang the theme songs, and she got this role because of her notoriety with the musical covers that she would do, and she pitched herself as a singer. And at the same time as Bochi the Rock, another show was airing in which she was the main character, uh, Ryo Jisetsu from Raven of the Inner Palace. But getting back to her performance as Ryo, uh, Ryo is uh, Ryo is a mess. Ryo is also kind of my spirit animal. She's the quiet introvert of the group, and that's how she likes it. She likes being alone. And also out of the four girls, she is the most hardcore rock geek and she knows like all the bands and particularly she loves indie bands that no one else knows about. And Rio has actually been in a band before and just happened to burn out or leave because of creative differences before joining Nijika's band. And so at first glance, you kind of look and it's like, okay, this girl just kind of looks jaded and bored. But then we get to the fun part of why Rio is just such a mess. First off, we have the running gag of just her constantly being broke, despite having very rich parents. But Rio has no money sense. Like, as soon as that money hits her hand, she blows her allowance on guitars. She is constantly fleecing the various band members for meals. On top of that, she's also got this checked out deadpan delivery 
which makes her seem mature, but it's the exact opposite. She always comes across as like smart and knowledgeable, but she flunks all of her tests. She has no real uh, trivia knowledge outside of just really niche bands. She's also just a little troll. Like she loves playing these jokes uh, on these little jokes on all the other band members or devising these harebrained schemes just to put them out in the air and see how the other girls will react. So naturally, Bochi's antics and doing these little things of like prodding Bochi sometimes is like an endless source of amusement for Ryo. There's one crucial detail I've saved for the end of this portion, because I've already talked about Asian Kung Fu Generation a couple of times now, but the last names for all the girls of Kesakuban line up directly with the names of the members for Asian Kung Fu Generation. And so just really quick, they are an alternative rock band formed in Yokohama in 1996, and it's still going. You know, they've maintained these same four members as well. So on vocals, we have Masafumi Goto. We also have the drummer, Kiyoshi Ijichi. So this is the direct with uh, Nijika, the drummer. We have lead guitarist and backing vocals on Kensuke Kita. So again, Ikuyo Kita is for Kensuke Kita. And then we have bassist and backing vocals, Takahiro Yamada. And so Asian Kung Fu Generation is a very, very well-known anime band and just band in general. They have a number of influences stemming from the Western punk scene and alternative rock in conjunction with their rise through their local indie rock scene. Their songs are typically pretty fast-paced. They got a strong rhythm core, throaty vocals, some wicked guitar riffs. There's like they've got this distinct flair, and of course they've been very successful in their time. Like think about it, these guys are knocking on the door of 30 years together as a band, the same four members. They have obviously been doing something right. So of course, this being an anime podcast, I'm going to start talking about their anime covers. And for some of us who are my age, this will be a nice trip down memory lane because anime work started around 2002 with Haruka Kanata, the second opening credits theme to Naruto. And they came back for Shippuden as well with Blood Circulator. You have Rewrite in 2004, which was the last opening credits theme for the original run of Full Metal Alchemist. This is actually the first time I actually heard their music, and it just blew me away. And then I later heard it with After Dark, the seventh opening to Bleach. And one of my favorites in more recent, well, air quotes recent, this is also kind of running on like eight years since this came out, but I love their opening song, uh, Ray Ray for the time travel murder mystery series, Erased. And so a little bit more recently, like 2021, they did two songs for the My Hero Academia World Heroes Mission movie. Those songs were Empathy and then Flowers. They've done some work with Masaki Yuasa as well. They did the opening credits to Tatami Galaxy in 2010, plus songs for the sequel film, uh, The Night is Short, Walk On Girl. And most recently, the opening song for Yojuan Time Machine Blues, that one directed by Shingo Natsume, but also in the Tatami Galaxy continuity, I guess. And I do have one more character real quick before I want to highlight before we move on, because while this is truly a show about the four girls of Kesakoban, there is one other character that I want to talk about who also gets any kind of significant amount of screen time, and she's also received her very own spinoff manga. And this character's name is Kikuri Hiroi, everyone's favorite deadbeat drunk bassist from the in-universe uh, band Sick Hack, which is a built as a psychedelic indie rock band with three members, and all of their last names are shared with the real-world band 88 Casio Junrei. 
And so we only see these other two characters briefly in like one episode. But even then, we get to see kind of what this band, what Sick Hack is all about. And even this brief performance is something that I would love to see more of in animation. Kikuri shows up in episode six, and she's just a complete drunken mess lying in the street when uh, Bochi happens upon her and nurses her back to health. And then without giving away too much, Kikuri is a mentor figure of sorts for Bochi, as well as a role model and, of course, an anti-role model. In fact, one of my favorite jokes, also just one of the most dark and depressing and drawn-out gags in the show, is a result of a conversation with that Bochi has with Kikuri, where Bochi just imagines this horribly dark future if she continues down, if she continues down the path that Kikuri is. It is just comedy gold, and it is like also just so sad and depressing at the same time. Kikuri is voiced by Sayaka Senbongi. She debuted in 2013 with the, with the role of Claire Kokonoe from the Chronicles of the Going Home Club, which is a show about four girls getting up to various hijinks after school, i.e. the Going Home Club. They're not part of any extracurricular activities. And honestly, she's had a ton of roles in recent years. It was really hard to pick the few that I did. Some of the big ones are uh, Mume, the main heroine from 2016's Cabinary of the Iron Fortress. Not necessarily an underrated show, but at the time, Studio Wit was taking some uh, relatively vocal flack at the premiere of uh, Cabinary for this not being the second season of Attack on Titan. But I, I I like the show, and I've noticed in the recent years that more people have been going back to Cabinary of the Iron Fortress and praising it for as, as good as it is. So definitely check it out if you haven't. Sayaka-san also has a reprising role as Shuna, who's a girl from uh, that time I got reincarnated as a slime. It's a popular isekai series that's been ongoing since 2018. Also a show that I'm currently enjoying and that's currently airing as part of this episode. Uh, Sayaka-san voices the half-elf mage Marcel from Delicious in Dungeon. You can find that one on Netflix. So getting into the release and reception for Bochi the Rock. I personally have to say this is a lot of fun to be on the ground floor with uh, on this series. Because honestly, going into the fall season, there wasn't much buildup to Bochi the Rock. We had a few other series on my on our minds at the time, namely one of the most hyped up shows in years, Chainsaw Man, was premiering in fall 2022. Also, another little show called Mobile Suit Gundam, The Witch from Mercury. Uh, no big deal. Also, the premiere of Spy Family, which happened earlier in spring 2022, and so Spy Family was returning for fall. Also, don't forget Mob Psycho 100 Season 3, like the finale to Mob Psycho 100, one of the best seasons and one of the best conclusions to any anime I've ever witnessed. Also, we had hits like Reincarnated as a Sword, you know, aka Sword Dad. Also, this was the return of uh, Urusei Yatsura over on High Dive. And also on High Dive, we had the premiere of Akiba Maid War, which is one of my favorites of 2022. So, I mean, nobody was talking about Bochi the Rock going into this season. However, Bochi's fortunes quickly turned around when clips of the anime started going viral on social media. Bochi the Rock is a goldmine for memes, gifs, and reaction content. And I mean, this show set off like a wildfire, a literal overnight turnaround. And then bookstores started selling out of the manga instantly. Also, a fun side note, following the not just the premiere, but also the conclusion of Bochi the Rock, this series was so popular following the anime's run that the author, Aki Himaji, was asked to move her booth during the 2022 Winter Comic Hit to the outside hall because the lines got so long at her first booth 
she wasn't even doing anything bochi related. She was actually releasing uh, doujins and artwork based off of the mobile game series Blue Archive with a couple of other side deals. Like she instantly sold out of all of her works and she was just there to hang out. Another interesting detail is uh, the anime led to a very high demand for musical instruments, especially the guitars and especially the guitar brands and models used by the characters in the show. So particularly the the Gibson Les Paul and then the Yamaha Pacifica guitars used by Bochi, like instantly out of stock. Then came the otaku pilgrimages. Fans flooded the streets of Shimo Kitazawa and uh, Shelter, which is the live house that Starry is based off of. Uh, Starry being the live house show in Bochi the Rock. Now, unfortunately, uh, Shelter, the, the live house, had trouble with some of the more obtrusive visitors and some folks who were trying to get in and watch performances without paying. So there is a sign currently out in written in English, Japanese, and Korean to discourage visitors from using its side entrance, which is down those iconic stairs. That being said, you know, despite these early bumps in the road, the town has adjusted rather well and is even taking advantage of all of the popularity around Bochi the Rock. You have the usual merchandising around town, and in a funnier note, the Kesuku Band was actually appointed the official ambassadors for the town's promotion of the Shimokitazawa Curry Fest 2023, which ran for 18 days from October 5th to October 23rd, uh, 2023. Local businesses around town basically offered uh, various curry menus, and they also held a stamp rally with Kesuku Band-themed merchandise included amongst the prizes. And given the recency of the series, there's not much on anime uh, award circuits to go on, but we have a few, and Bochi the Rock has been done very well with the few that it's been in. Uh, starting with the 9th Anime Trending Awards held on February 26, 2023, uh, Bochi the Rock took home Anime of the Year for the popular vote, as well as seven more categories, including Best Soundtrack, uh, Comedy of the Year, Music Anime of the Year, and then Episode 8 won an individual award for Best in Episode Directing and Storyboard. So that's eight reward awards in total, the most in the awards history to date. So just a clean sweep. Again, another funny one is the 2023 Boats of the Rock won the 2023 Musical Instrument Store's Grand Prize. <laughs> I I had no idea this was a thing, but yeah, Boats of the Rock won the Recommended Works Award, courtesy of votes by the various staffs of instrument stores across Japan. Plus, the guitars related to the series uh, jointly won as the recommended instru- instrument in this award. Just absolutely wild. We also have the new Type Magazine Anime Awards on October 28th, 2023. Bochi the Rock took home Best TV Anime, plus two others, uh, Best Director for Keichiro Sato, and Best Theme Song for Seishun Complex. And in this year's Crunchyroll 2023 Anime Awards, the voting has just closed and results will be posted in a few weeks, I think like 2nd of March. So just, just a few weeks after this episode goes live, which Crunchyroll's award scheduling is weird. Like it, this is being held all through January of 2024, but they're counting series basically from fall 2022 through fall 2023 or end of summer 2023. It's weird. It, it's something equivalent to, uh, the, it's, it's like the anime equivalent to when we have like Jeff Keighley's Game Awards. Bochi the Rock has nominations in 10 out of the 25 categories, including Anime of the Year, uh, opposite of Chainsaw Man and a couple of other shows, uh, Best New Series, The Best Score, Best Comedy, and Best Slice of Life. And in terms of home video releases, this literally just dropped 
We're talking on January 30th, 2024 on Crunchyroll, and it is Japanese language only. Now, as for the future of the series, the success of Boats of the Rock was a big surprise for Cloverworks and the studio staff. And with how much that Cloverworks produces and how uh, tight the production timeline is, along with their front log of committed projects, Cloverworks has still confirmed a season two, but has also warned that it could be a while before space opens up to start production. Plus, they obviously want to return as much of the staff as they can after the compilation film. So I imagine they might try to swing it after the compilation film or like start season two somewhere around there. So, but for now, that's what we're getting, a compilation film of the first season releasing later this year, but no date has been given at the time of this recording. And that is basically the story thus far of Bochi the Rock. And so now we have one, our penultimate stop, our 15 seconds of fame, which is my little bit of a break period before I go into my final segment, the review roundup. And this is where I look through my catalog of anime that I kind of want to talk about and give a little bit of lip service to a series that, hey, if you like Bochi the Rock and if you've seen it already and you're looking for something very similar to it, I'm going to find something that I'm going to briefly recommend something that I think could be kind of that's in the same uh, general space as Bochi the Rock. And at first I thought about recommending another series from the manga time, a Kirara set of works like uh, K-On uh, was a pretty obvious choice. We also had Laid Back Camp, Hitamari Sketch. But while they certainly share the parent company, and I do recommend checking out Laid Back Camp in particular, also using a real world location and its colorful cast of characters. It's just a really chill, relaxing camping series. But my heart sent me in a different direction to the stone cold classic that is this series, which I'm going to roll the clip now. So for those who didn't get this in like the first second of the that guitar hitting, this is Foodie Cootie, a six-episode OVA music coming-of-age series produced by studios Gainax and Production IG, directed by Kazuyo Surumaki. Foodie Cootie follows our uh, young protagonist, Naota Nandaba. His uh, boring, boring suburban life is turned upside down by the arrival of the mysterious and slightly insane Haruko Haruhara. Their meeting sets the tone for the rest of this wacky series when Haru runs over Nalta with a scooter, revives him with a passionate CPR, then whacks him over the head with a vintage bass guitar, the Rickenbacker uh, 4001, that turns his forehead basically into a warp gate for super robots to invade the earth, which he then transforms into a robot himself and kicks their butts. So, Furikuri is, uh, as you can see, is a very, um, shall I say, different kind of series. It is, uh, it is a, an anime that broke all the rules back in 2000 and 2001 with highly experimental animation techniques, uh, non-sequitur humor, and just storytelling in general, uh, breaking the fourth wall with gumption. Also heavily features rock music in its motifs and soundtrack, particularly the music of the alternative rock band The Pillows. So if you're a fan of Bochi the Rock or if you are watching Bochi the Rock pending this episode and want more, I cannot recommend Foodie Cody enough. I will give a slight warning though, after you finish this six episode OVA and go, oh boy, they made extra seasons in more recent years. Don't watch them. Foodie Cody was lightning in a bottle and every other attempt after that has just been production ID 
trying to cash in on that same, well, first trying to cash in on nostalgia, but everything after this original entry just kind of only serves to cheapen that experience. So keep yourself pure. Just watch the original Foodie Cody, and I promise you will have a very fun time. And so thank you for tuning in. We have one last stop, the review roundup. So I'm going to play a little bit of music and transition in. I hope you've enjoyed the production side of Bochi the Rock, and I hope you enjoy my uh, more personal thoughts on this series. Okay, I think you guys understand that, yes, I love Bochi the Rock. I love this show. It is smart. It is hilarious. But most importantly, it is a heartfelt story that I think is handled very well and feels relatable to a lot of people. And I myself can relate to Bochi, both in the show and as the character. As growing up as the as a kid, I moved around relatively often, you know, often enough to where we would get used to a spot and then it'd be time to move to another town. So I always had that feeling of being the new kid or kind of just being on the out, just on the outside, even with my, some of my closest friends. I wasn't one of the, those kids who like grew up with this other kid, you know, they, they had their childhood friends and then I was the friend that, you know, I was always the new friend. And I am very well familiar with that crushing weight of denial socially, or even like worse, the fear of denial or feeling that maybe someone's just going to say no, and then I'll never make a friend during my time at this school or at this town. It's a very real feeling. And it's a, like a crushing weight, almost like a brick, a ton of bricks on my chest. And so yeah, it was kind of hard growing up like that. And as I did, you know, around junior high, I really started to notice just kind of how out of touch my social skills were as well, just from my earlier times of growing up. And, you know, I had friends at school and church and in like Boy Scouts and like these very structured environments. But where I was actually living was either like a little bit out in the country or kind of on the other side of town. So it wasn't like I ever walked to a friend's house just to hang out. Like I literally never did that until high school, until I was like 15. I'd never like walked to a friend's house in the neighborhood. Couple that with sometimes we didn't know just how long we were staying in a neighborhood or in, in an area, you know, it was literally like a year by year basis. And in high school, especially, you know, I had a very hard time adjusting to my new environment. And especially with this kind of school and the kind of groups that were there, it was a lot of kids who had literally grown up together from kindergarten. And now they are here in high school. And so my, my high school was very clicky. And so like Bochi, I was just constantly afraid of meeting new people or trying to integrate myself into existing friend groups. And I was like, well, maybe I need to change myself. And I was very desperate to change myself. And at times I hated who I was and how cowardly I was being, you know, just go over and talk to that person. What's stopping you? Like everything's stopping me. And when, even when I did get to my, you know, this story of course has a happy ending because I did get a group of friends and they were very supportive. And this is something that social anxiety is something that I didn't get through this alone. Also like Bochi, you know, I needed this friend group and it was a very supportive group at that. 
and I find ourselves very fortunate in that regard. So this is how I relate to Bochi. I never had quite the imagination that she does or the just, you know, all the weirdness in the animation. I didn't, I, I don't think I have the power to uh, quite break the fourth wall like Bochi does. But what I really do appreciate about this series from that aspect of it is Bochi's growth felt very natural in this series. You know, we're starting from literally cannot make eye contact or really speak her mind. She's always whispering and she's quiet and always quavering in her speech. And by the end of the show, she's been in multiple situations where, uh, for instance, she's working part time at the live house. At Starry, she's been serving and interacting with the customers on top of performing in, uh, in in front of crowds of people to both positive and negative reception. And a real nice piece of advice that Kikuri gives Bochi in episode six, I think, or it could have been episode seven, where Bochi is still having trouble making eye contact with her audience. You know, these are a bunch of strangers. I don't know these people. Kikuri says, look, the audience is not your enemy. These people on the street want you to succeed as much as you do. So just have fun with it. Put on a show. You know, if you're going to, especially if you're going to charge people money for a ticket, you know, you deserve to put on the best show that you can. But I mean, just have fun. They want you to have fun. They're here to support you. So there's nothing really to worry about. And it's language like that. It is encouragement like that, that Bochi really needs and that she gets throughout the show. You know, her growth is natural, and but still, there are moments where she has these lessons that she's learned, but now it's time to put it into practice, because there are moments in the show where, or I should say, like these small moments of crises, where both Bochi and the band, they have to step it up. Everything is on their shoulders, and it's real satisfying to watch both the band and, of course, to watch Bochi step up and get the and get the confidence because she took that leap. You know, there was no time to second guess or there's no time to back away. It's do or die. And Bochi time and again steps up to the plate. As as Nijika calls her, she is the rock solid foundation of the band, Bochi the Rock. And there is there is a clear and genuine chemistry with this band. And it is very clear in the voice cast. You know, every character also gets to have their goofy moments, especially in the back half of the show where we get to see uh, Kita and uh, Nijika and Ryo all have their own little Bochi-like freakout moments as they themselves are drawn into uh, Bochi's fantasies or her moments, or again, they have their own little imagination moments. You know, these are all teenage girls. They all are all awkward. They're all figuring this out themselves. They all have their own journeys, but it is still funny to watch them both like get used to Bochi's imaginations and kind of like, hey, come on, come back to Earth, Bochi, but then to get dragged into the fantasy all Inception-like. So it is a new dynamic and it's all, it's consistently funny dynamic to their group as a band. Of course, the banter is amazing. I love the chemistry in the voice cast. And again, I did say I was going to reflect on Yoshi, Yoshino's, uh, Yoshino Aoyama's performance as Bochi, because the best way I can describe her performance is like, it's at sometimes it's just inhuman. And I'm not talking about her scream from episode four, where Bochi is glitching out of the matrix. You know, the, yes, that was actually her screaming, uh, of course, aided by the glitching noises. But I mean, like this character's range goes from the cutesy and quiet to just complete nuclear meltdown and the snap of the finger. Like There are sentences that Aoyama-san belts out that go through like five different emotional states in a matter of words. And this may be, this may sound weird for me to say in this next bit, but I also just love how she can make a little startled noises. You know, Bochi is always being snuck up on or 
taken by surprise, or again, when she's snapped out of her own little world, it's all this, this, it's just the vocal range that she puts on is truly wild. And it's something that I thought about including, it'd be a little hard because it's all the languages in Japanese, but I mean, you can just go on YouTube and just type in Bochi out of context if you've seen the show. And of course, if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the show, you could probably do Bochi out of context, or again, just watch the first episode, like just watch this show and experience the craziness that is the voice cast of Bochi the Rock. Everything just, it's so fun. Like some of these screams are on the level of like Daniel Stern as Mar from like Home Alone. And that kind of gets to the point of what I said earlier is like Bochi is just all about, Bochi the Rock is all about fun. You know, this animation work, the show, every single aspect, the music, the character performances, the writing, just everything just exudes fun. There's a clear message of, hey, we're going to make something truly unique and we're going to elevate this property and we're just going to throw as many jokes as we can and we're just going to we're just going to go have fun with it. In a way, this reminds me a lot of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I'm I'm reading this book called uh, Pulling a Rabbit Out of a Hat by Ross Anderson, where the, basically the animation process for Who Framed Roger Rabbit was this monumental like Herculean task days and days of just overtime and just the constant grind. But it's also like there's such an animation and production on that movie was such a fly-by-night constant effort. But in all of the interviews that I've seen on YouTube and then even in the book is the portion that I'm getting to now, like everyone who is on there, like the DVD extras, as much work and effort and blood, sweat, tears as went into Roger Rabbit, everyone on that production remembers just how fun it was and like the writer's room, everyone would just walk out constantly just laughing their guts out. And just Roger Rabbit being like a highlight of their careers, despite how much work went into it. Bochy the Rock has that same feel to me. You know, now, of course, the show isn't, it doesn't pull anything like a full on Tex Avery uh, animation gags, but the surreal comedy of this series is very memorable. And it is in that, again, that Roger Rabbit kind of frame of mind. And I'm just in that frame of mind because of the book. But the show is just a joy to watch. And I do want to talk briefly about some of the anime uh, end jokes for the, on top of the animation stuff, because as Kiku said at the top of this episode, again, just at multiple points, like the anime adaptation for Bochi the Rock had no reason to go as hard as it did. So some of my favorite anime jokes, uh, anime reference jokes, is everything from like Bochi turning to uh, Studio Ghibli uh, like dust motes set to the song like from Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. There's another moment where uh, when Bochi is trying to recruit Kita from for the band, I think it's like episode four, Bochi is frozen at the door, but even when Kita calls out to her, Bochi backs away at the very last second and screams out an apology as he's running down the hallway in an almost like shot-for-shot manner as Haru from Furikuri did from, from, from that show. It's like a direct animation reference. Also, an instance of Bochi and the and so subsequently episodes will have like Bochi and the band running in the scene, like i.e. like roadrunner feet, like their feet are just a swirl. And then you have one of, there's the classic meme of uh, dead Yamcha from Dragon Ball Z after, you know, he's just lying dead in a crater. You know, Bochi's just being the stand in for uh, Yamcha, of course, in this joke. And also out of nowhere, there's this reference to the ending of the, the boxing series Tomorrow's Joe that rolls straight into congratulations to spoof uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion, which is one of, I think, like three references to Evangelion. So you can scratch that reference off the old bingo card. 
just so many more. Like the staff peppered in all of these snippets for both comedy and just generally just for the love of anime. There's so many jokes that are like famous moments from said anime. And it's just a joy every time to watch. And it's funny regardless of if you know the exact property being referenced. And I can really see this as I was researching for this episode. You know, I watched a lot of interviews and some extras. And you can just see it in the people's faces as they look back. And even like when there was an interview, like right after the premiere of the first episodes, even in the middle of the production, you can see this, just everyone's smiling. And then they all see the the staffers sharing this smirk as they remember coming up with like some gag in the show or getting to animate their favorite scene from the manga or like, man, we can't wait for the audience to uh, experience, you know, this joke. And so just overall, I think Bochy the Rock is a very fun show. It's a, it is honestly a, a must watch for any kind of fan of anime, especially if you are just starting an anime or if you want to get into something like Slice of Life. Bochy the Rock is able to pull off this mass appeal with the, the characters and the setting and the heart, but then it also feels like something that would be like more unique or like niche within a niche with all of its different jokes and flourishes and some of the, it really just with with all the comedy, it really just feels like a comedy series more than a slice of life series at times. And so I'm not going to belabor this anymore. You know, I highly recommend you check out Boat to the Rock if you haven't already. And I do hope you've enjoyed this episode and hopefully learned something new about this anime that I appreciate so much. I mean, the only real minor gripe I kind of have with the show is more personal. Like it kind of stems from, there aren't that many concert or performance pieces for this show being billed as, at least on its face, as a music series. A lot of the clips to promote the show, Crunchyroll did all of the concerts and the music performances. Well, Bochy the Rock, yes, it is a music series, but again, this is primarily about a journey of these four girls. The band is really just a vehicle for the personal growth of these characters, like any good slice of life, you know, drama series. Again, but it also helps that the music is great and even with the the earlier performances, there are the songs with have the the running uh, inner dialogue over the music. So I mean, I personally don't didn't mind any of the times, or there'll be a, a when they're getting ready to uh, the, when the band's warming up or when the band's practicing, and they say, "Well, we're going to get ready to practice our new song," and it just cuts to the end of the practice. You don't get to hear the new song. Well, obviously, that's just building up for the concert. So I've seen. Some folks have, that, 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 that might bother some folks more than others, but to me, it didn't bother me too much. It just, to me, it kind of built up that suspense for the payoff in the concert. So I do find that the music is satisfyingly payoffed in terms of just a pure concert performance. I would have liked one before uh, episode nine or like 10 and then like episode 12. I would have preferred something a little bit sooner than that for just music without dialogue. But for what it is, again, the, the everything else in the show more than makes up for it. And then the music itself, these concerts are an animation feast and a music feast. The music is good. I, I also find like some episodes are indeed slower than others. You know, the, the Bochy the Rock in its entirely isn't quite on the level of like the laugh a minute writing of, say, like classic Simpsons. But they do strike a healthy balance, I think, between the character growth and the comedy. You know, we can all look back and laugh at our cringiest moments from high school and just all the weird things that we would say, or like, you know, sometimes you would just get the jitters and just dance something crazy as uh, Bochi does, or she's having a sort of like moment in her room and her parents are kind of looking out on the sidelines. Like, is this girl okay? You know, just, you all remember how just 
zany and wacky some moments in high school and just that period of growing up is. And that's all fine to go back and laugh at, yes, frankly, the embarrassing moments and the funny moments that we all did in high school. And so I do find the humor in this show to be very relatable in that regard. I think the world is a much more fun place when we don't take ourselves so serious all the time. Once again, thank you so much for listening. I would appreciate it if you left a comment in uh, the comment section, either on Spotify or wherever you're listening from. You know, tell me what you think of the show. I love reading all the feedback. You can follow along with the show on our Instagram page and threads at Treehouse Anime Pod and join our free Discord server by following the link in the show notes or following our link through the Instagram bio. We have a great community and we would love to have you. And you can submit comments for the episode to get read on the show like these fine folks were. So my next episode is going to feature two music videos, uh, Shelter by Porter Robinson and Madayan, and then my sort of tribute to Leiji Matsumoto with his collaboration with Daft Punk on Interstellar 4-5. I hope you guys uh, look forward to that show, so stay tuned and come back on February 21st. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you stay safe and watch more cartoons. Daddy, daddy.